0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Believe in Grizzlies. I have a special guest. It's Pete Pranica. He's the voice of of the Memphis Grizzlies. How are you doing, Pete? Uh, I am fine.
0: I am fine. Just uh, freshly arrived here in Minneapolis, where it's not nearly as warm as it is in Memphis, but uh, just getting ready for game six.
1: Oh, wow. So I'm going to ask you, what are your thoughts about the Ian Eagles jawbreaker comments? And if you're mad, you didn't think of it first. (laughs) No,
0: I mean, I've used jaw dropper. you know, Ian is always, uh, you know, big on, uh, you know, pop culture references and things like that. Nine is actually a, a very very dear friend of mine, and mm-hmm. so no, I'm 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 glad that he went jawbreaker. Uh, it's cool. I've used jaw dropper, but you know, there's so many of them that uh, you know you don't want to say it all the time. A lot of times, Brev and I just lean back and say, "Wow," because that's uh, that's our that's our honest to god reaction uh, when Jaw does something like he did with that dunk.
1: Right. So it's just like, I'm going to go into this question. So how is it being covering, you've been calling Ja plays, you know, since he's been in the league, how has it been for you and Brevin to just like see what's happening on the court with him?
0: Well, what's amazing about Ja is that highlight plays can happen at any moment. In our business, we're conditioned that usually highlights come at the end of quarters, the end of games, game winners, things like that. But I think the perfect example was his rookie year. He tries to jump over Kevin Love in Cleveland. And that was, I might've been first, second quarter. You you don't expect those things. And so you have to be ready uh, because he has elite athleticism and it can happen in a flash. So, you know, the rundown block in against the Lakers in LA, you know, his, his highlights can come at any moment in any fashion. It could be a block. It could be his handles. It could be a shot, it could be a dunk, it could be anything. And so you just have to be really prepared. And uh, Eric Castletine, who does the radio, we've, we've talked about this. You really have to be careful because sometimes your gut reaction is to say, oh bleep or something that should not go over the air just because he is, he is so incredible. And uh, so it, it's, it's forced us really Sharon to be more ready, and more anticipatory that something amazing could happen that you've never seen before, and it could happen at any moment.
1: So how was it, Colin, his 52-win uh, game? Because he did so many amazing stuff in that game that people don't even do their entire career. He did it all in one
0: game. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I, and I think some of us had to come in after the game. I said his 52-point game would be a mixtape for some people's careers. Uh, he was he was totally in his bag. and. And it was great to watch somebody who's in the zone, who is in total control of his game, can manipulate the game, do anything he wants at any point in time. And he's had it in in particular for the San Antonio Spurs because some of his best games scoring-wise have come against San Antonio. And, uh, you know, on television, we can just sit back and let the picture tell the story. And sometimes just the pictures, even without our words other than, oh, wow, or sensational or jaw-dropper, uh, sometimes the pictures tell tell the story better than we can verbally so you just try to get out of the way and let people enjoy what is just one of the
1: rising superstars in the NBA and then that's what one of the games that ESPN took off and I think that made y'all kind of mad but I bet they wish they had it <laughs> kept it on
0: Right. Yeah, John, John. never likes. John never lacks for motivation. And I, uh, uh, we're quite sure when we get the TV schedule next year, there are going to be a lot more TNT games and a lot more ESPN games because, uh, you know, I don't think the Grizzlies have ever had anybody who was top ten in jersey sales. And now we travel and won't be the case tomorrow for Game Six. But uh, many visiting arenas, or when we go out on the road, I should say. A lot of those arenas, there are a lot of people wearing jaw jerseys, and they're not all from Memphis. So his star power, and I think it's a little bit like the popularity of Steph Curry, because you realize you don't have to be seven feet tall to be a superstar in the NBA. You can be six foot, six one, six two, and you can still be a star in the NBA. And so kids that haven't been blessed with a tremendous height uh, realize, hey, I, maybe I could grow up to be an NBA star because... Jaw's not very tall. Steph Curry's not very tall, and uh, and I think that adds to his popularity.
1: So, how was it to hear people chanting MVP for him at a opposing arena? That
0: was pretty cool. Um, you know, anytime you hear MVP chants, it's always it's always amazing. But yeah, to hear it in other buildings, uh, that was special. Memphis fans do travel, uh, you know, we had a lot of Memphis fans here for game three and games three and four in Minneapolis, uh, you know, if there are cities uh, in relative close proximity where you can get a direct flight, uh, there'll be Memphis fans, and, and they're very proud of Ja, and, and they will start that MVP chant, and uh, a lot of people recognize his, his brilliance and, uh, and his ascendant, started, ascendant stardom in the
1: NBA. Okay, so let's get to the series. So what are your thoughts on the rotation changes and issues that they they have been having with the rotations?
0: Well, you know, I think Taylor Jenkins has been very decisive when he realized the Stephen Adams piece wasn't working. Uh, You know, Stephen Adams against Carl Anthony Towns, it's a really, really tough matchup. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns is a tough matchup for anybody, uh, just the way Jaron Jackson Jr. is a tough matchup for other teams. Uh, So you have, you know, it's all about moves and kind of moves. And I think Taylor's been very good about being decisive. Has every move worked perfectly? No, but most of them have, Uh, you know, you look at game three and Tyus Jones and John Morant being on the floor at the same time. You look at how the Grizzlies went super small in game five and they were able to rally, you know, because Brandon Clark had a, a ridiculously good game as an offensive rebounder. So, yeah, I mean, the rotations have been tough uh, because, like I said, Grizzlies, maybe outside of Jaron, don't have anybody that can match up with Carl Anthony Towns. Um, And Jaron's had trouble staying on the floor because of foul problems. So so that's difficult. The Grizzlies, at least to this point, have benefited from the fact that D'Angelo Russell has not had one of his 30-point games, and he averaged 31 against the Grizzlies in the three regular season games that he played against them. He's not broken out in a big way. So, you know, Edwards is a tough cover. So, you know, Bain or Brooks will be on him. The issue that you have is Carl Anthony Towns, 40% three-point shooter, 50% inside the arc, 60% in the restricted area, among the league leaders and driving field goals made, and end one opportunities. So he's a guy who can play perimeter and can play downhill. I thought Dylan Brooks did a good job against Towns late in game five, undersized, but because Towns will go out to the perimeter yeah, you can maybe get away with a smaller guy on him. Because the Grizzlies obviously didn't have Jaron down the stretch uh, because of foul problems.
1: So what what can happen with Jaron? Because, um, you know, it's just like when he's on the floor, they're doing so good. And it's just like the, the the defense is solid and everything. But he has to find a way to stay on the floor. So how how can he do that? I mean, do you think like, it's in his head, you know, like that he's going to get a foul called or what. I mean, because I saw him um, on the, you know, on the bench, you know, uh, last game and he seemed like he was frustrated because like he didn't want to get a foul, but the guys kept going by him. And then they were scoring the buckets, but he didn't want to get a foul. So it just seemed like he was frustrated to me.
0: Well, yeah, and I'm sure he was frustrated. I think the important thing, Sharon, is that, You can't take the cheap fouls, okay? Mm -hmm. Just don't commit the obvious ones, uh, because you only get six. And you know, if you pick up too early, then you're coming out of the game. I think too, Jaron just has to be a little bit more disciplined. You know, he starts a drive, and the off arm comes out. He grabs Jared Vanderbilt's shorts. There's no need to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, you can you can beat him off the bounce. And so I think he just has to be more conscious of what he's doing, be more disciplined. With where his hands and arms are at any given point, um, that to me is is going to be the biggest thing. The Grizzlies have worked and they've gone to great lengths to work with Jaron to improve his technique so that he doesn't get into foul problems. And we've had long stretches of the regular season where he wasn't in foul problems. But you know the physicality in the postseason, uh, you have referees that you know grade out higher. Uh, they're going to be looking for stuff, obviously, and and I, I've talked with people who would, who would be privy to these things, and they said this series, they felt this series and the Boston-Brooklyn series were the two hardest series to officiate. Mm-hmm. Minnesota, Minnesota it, only Detroit committed more personal fouls per game than Minnesota in the regular season. So Minnesota is very foul-prone. They're going to be physical. They're going to be undisciplined. Well, the Grizzlies can't. They don't want to be physical, but you have to be disciplined with your physicality. Because if you are, you will carve out a big advantage at the free throw line. And then, of course, you got to make your free throws, which the Grizzlies have struggled with in the series.
1: Yeah, that—that's that, the next question I was going to ask you about the free throws because I feel like if they made those free throws, the series would be over.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, although. Th- Two of the games the Grizzlies have won, they've shot less than 70% from the free throw line. But to your point, they have a massive advantage in in, in attempts, but a very, very small advantage in makes. And, uh, you know, if if the Grizzlies shoot free throws better, game five isn't – you don't need a 13-point rally in the fourth quarter. Uh, It it would have been a, a much better game. Right. Um, you know, it's 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 hard it's it's hard to coach because it's an unguarded fifteen foot shot. But then again, you look at Josh starts with two for seven, then makes nine of ten in the fourth quarter. Right, so, it's <laughs> right. Old, it's, it's 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 the old Shaquille O'Neal thing. I make them when they really count.
1: So, do you think, like after Josh's performance in Game Five, do you think it's just like he found? You think it woke him up because you know you think he found a way to attack, to attack the defense that will carry over to Game Six.
0: Yeah, I think that he probably discovered some things. Um, you know, John's very good at, at reading the room kind of the, way the Chris, kind of the way Chris Paul does. He knows what his team needs at any given time. Um, you know, Devin Booker coming back, uh, you know, tonight it's, uh, what is it, game six in, uh, in New Orleans. And, uh, you know, Devin Booker's coming back from a hamstring. Chris Paul makes his first 10 shots from the floor. You know, he understands, okay, Booker's not going to be up to snuff, so I need to do more. And and that's something that Jod ja did, I thought, in game five, seven assists in the first half, two in the second half, but then an 18-point fourth quarter. So um, the Grizzlies will, will figure some things out. What Minnesota will do is they're totally committed to getting the ball out of his hands as quickly as possible, and also to play what Brevin likes to call boxes and elbows. So basically four players – Two on either side of the lane line, you know, a pair high, pair low, and just take the paint away from Ja. Um, He had a decent paint scoring game in game five, in game three and game four here in Minnesota. He only had eight paint points in each of those two games when he averaged 16 a game in the regular season. So uh, Grizzlies will have to figure some things out. And he's also without his personal protector, And Steven Adams, who is 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 now out because of uh, COVID protocols.
1: Okay, well, since you brought up Steven Adams, I can ask you this question. In game five, I you know, I I was watching because I was in the arena. Usually I'm watching at home. I was in the arena and I saw that Steven Adams and Cal Anderson, they were talking to the guys on the bench. Like when the coaches was off, you know, over talking, Steven Adams and Cal seemed like they held that team together. And, you know, people always talk about, like, they're so young. But I think that's the veteran leadership that they needed because it's just like, I think that helped so much because it seemed like they brought the guys back in.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And, I mean, those are the two more experienced playoff guys uh, on the Grizzlies roster. Wouldn't I wouldn't put it past the Grizzlies to have Steven Adams uh, on Zoom in the in locker room before the game, you know, to talk to guys because um, that, that's really how the Grizzlies made their way when, you know, Taylor Jenkins had COVID, is they had to do everything via Zoom uh, in terms of planning and, and, and game planning and, and things like that. It'll be missed. I don't think there's any question. Um, but, you know, Kyle is certainly there. And, uh, you know, he's going to have to be a, a veteran presence for this team. And, you know, hopefully it, 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 it translates really well. Like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Steven Adams shows up on Zoom uh, and he, he, who knows, he may be on the phone to some of the players right now uh, on the night before the game. I'm sure that in some way, shape or form, his influence will be felt.
1: And then I saw him like when Jaron, I saw him talk to Jaron for a long time. I mean, it's just like he, Jaron seemed like he was frustrated. But Steven, he, he was there talking to him, encouraging him, showing him, you know, he was pouring things out to him. And I thought that was so important.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And, and that's been an all season phenomenon. I remember in training camp talking to Taylor Jenkins and talking to Jaron about what it meant to have Steven Adams with his team. And, and all of them were very complimentary of him taking a leadership role uh, without trying to take over anything because he was new to the team and his veteran savvy, having been through you know conference finals games and, and things like that, that he had knowledge to share. And he had been very helpful to the big. So Hopefully that knowledge, even though his presence won't be felt physically on the bench, hopefully his influence will be felt in other ways. But certainly, um, Stephen has been a good mentor for Jaron, um, and I'm sure he was talking to Jaron about same things we were talking about: be more disciplined. Uh, you know, don't grab. You know, don't hold. Don't wrap your arms because you know if you when, when you lock arms with somebody, it's a 50-50 call whether it's your foul or the other guy's foul. So I'm sure those are the things that that Stephen. Uh, talk to Jaron about, and I'm sure that's been a conversation that's gone on all season long, But His influence will be felt, like I said, even though he won't physically be in the building.
1: So I have a two-part question. Um, Why do you think this team clicks so well, and why do you think they have such resilience? Because, like, them climbing back two times in this series to win them games, it has to be something, you know, about their demeanor, about something. (laughs)
0: I think really and truly, they care for each other very deeply. Uh, Nobody wants to let anybody down. Uh, Taylor Jenkins is so positive, regardless of what the situation is. I mean, you know, you can be down 26 and he's going to say, guys, I like the way we're playing offensively. Shots just aren't falling. And so, you know, there, there are very rarely slumped shoulders, although we did see some of that in game five, and yes, I think that might've been the reason, I think that might've been the reason why Ja decided to say, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna drive and I'm gonna dunk on Beasley's head and I'm gonna tell you guys that we still have a chance in this game. And um, so, yeah, the, the resilience is there. It's just a very tightly knit group. And one of the things that people were concerned about was that this team didn't have the OG. They didn't have a Jeff Green or they didn't have a Jay Crowder or they didn't have a Solomon Hill this is a a roster that is very homogenous when it comes to the age makeup. Uh, You don't have anybody over 30. Uh, I think uh, Kyle and and Steven are both 28. And I think there was concern like, this is such a young team. How are they going to come together? I think this team is so young and they play with a respect for their opponent, but they certainly don't fear anyone. And Maybe that's a product of their youth, and maybe they're, maybe they're too young and too inexperienced to know you're not supposed to come from, from 26 down on the road in a playoff game. Uh, they just don't care. But they you know they had, I think, in the regular season, like 11 double digit comebacks, which was among the league leaders. Uh, and it's a deep team too. So I think you factor all those things together, the cohesion of the team, the positivity of Taylor Jenkins and the coaching staff, uh, along with the youth, and sometimes the naive take that uh, you don't know that you're not supposed to come back from 26 in a playoff game.
1: Okay, um, I saw there's a video going around of Taylor Jenkins. He was like very animated after game five. I never seen that from him. And I was like, I want to hear the audio. I want to hear the audio. Um, Do you think he (laughs) should be considered, should win coach of the year?
0: Yeah, I do. I mean, I I really do. Uh, You know, I've talked with Stan Van Gundy, worked with Stan Van Gundy on TNT, and, and he certainly feels the same way. I know that there's a lot of sentiment for Monty Williams because uh, another great season. Uh, they set a franchise record in wins. The fact of the matter is, Monty Williams should have won, won it last year.
1: Should have won it last
0: year. Uh, you know, has multiple losses. Basically, has the same roster he had last year. So, you know, the fact that they won more games, you know, okay. No, but every every put it this way, Sharon. Everybody figured before the season. Phoenix was going to be top of the Western conference, right? Nobody, nobody had Memphis as a two seed in the West. I think going into the season, when people asked me, where can this team be at the end of the regular season? I said, the hope is can you be a top six seed? So you don't have to deal with the play in tournament six, I thought was going to be a pretty ambitious goal. Well, you know, they win 56 games and they're the two seed. Uh, you know, and doing it without job for 25 games in a regular season tells me that Taylor Jenkins did one heck of a job with one of the youngest teams in the NBA setting a franchise record in wins no disrespect to Monty Williams. He's a Notre Dame guy like me love Monty to death. Great respect for his spirituality, great respect for the personal tragedy that he went through losing his wife in a, in a, in a car crash. Fact of the matter is, he's got Chris Paul. Right. You know, uh, he's got he's got Devin Booker. He's, he's got these guys, uh, and, and Taylor Jenkins is working with a much younger and much less experienced roster, and, uh, oh, by the way, Memphis beat Phoenix twice.
1: And they won when Taylor Jenkins wasn't, you know, he wasn't there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, so I have two more questions for you. Um, the regional sports network model seems to be at a crossroad, like with Dish dropping them on YouTube TV and other streaming service. What do you think the future holds for the regional sports coverage? Do you think eventually teams may look into giving them their own streaming service to stream the games?
0: Well, right now, the rights for individual teams belong to the RSNs. And mm-hmm. so it's incumbent upon the RSNs. In the Grizzlies' case, Valley Sports Southeast,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, it becomes incumbent upon the RSNs. They have to come up with a delivery system. Uh, you know, I, I've heard rumors that the the Valley Regionals are talking about having their own streaming service. So just the way that you'd buy HBO Max or you'd buy mm-hmm. Netflix or Hulu, that you would then buy a Valley Regional Sports Network, and uh, and you wouldn't have to have it. <clears throat> excuse me, run through one of one of the other companies. Uh, so that, that would be something that, that's possible. So the teams own the rights, but, the, but they've already uh, sold those rights
1: mm-hmm. to
0: regional sports networks. So, and, and I've had this conversation with people who work uh, with the RSNs. They own the rights. The distribution doesn't really matter. It's mm-hmm. just the fact that they have the rights to show the games, mm-hmm. how you deliver the games to the viewer. Uh, you know, that seems to be the, the issue that they're going to have to resolve.
1: Okay. What's the keys to success to win game six to close it out?
0: Well, you know, I'm going to say, number one, Jaron has to be available. You know, and and Brevin and I talked about this on the flight out today. If Jaron plays 30 minutes, even if he doesn't have a monster game scoring, but if Jaron can give you 30 minutes and he can keep the rotations intact because he doesn't pick up early fouls and Jaron gives you, you know, 16 and seven with two block shots and his steal, I think the Grizzlies have a, have a really good chance. Um, other than that, you know, it, it goes back to the other stuff. Make your free throws. Uh, you, you can't be minus seven in threes and expect to win because the only way you can make that up is with offensive rebounding um, and with free throws. Well, then you got to make your free throws. And then in game four, which the Grizzlies lost, they only had three second chance points for the entire game. So um, the Grizzlies have a style of play. And they have to check all the boxes, whether it's offensive rebounding, better turnover margin than Minnesota, make free throws. That, uh, and again, you know, jaron has got to be Jaron. You can't have a phenomenally subpar game from a Desmond Bain. You know, if Desmond Bain goes for eight points or something like that, it's going to be hard. If is only limited to, to 12 or 14 points and maybe six or seven assists, that's going to be really, really rough. So a lot of factors baked into it, but the Grizzlies have to play their very best basketball. And, and Rob Fisher reported, remember in game three, you're going to the fourth quarter, you're down big. Taylor Jenkins said, just play the absolute best basketball you can possibly play. And we live with the result. Well, I think that's the same thing that the Grizzlies have to do in game six, but they have to do it for 48 minutes because Minnesota is going to play des- desperation basketball. And they feel very confident that they match up well with the Grizzlies. They know that they have won all but one game in Minnesota against the Grizzlies this year. They're, they're thinking that they can win two and go from Memphis on Sunday right to, uh, right to San Francisco to take on Golden State. So um, Grizzlies are going to have to match their energy. That's another thing. It's a really long laundry list, but if you want to win in the playoffs, you got to do a lot of things well.
1: Okay. Do you believe you have the best job in the world?
0: yes, yes, I do, yes, I do, I've, uh, I I wanted to do this since I was a a little kid, and uh, I'm just, I'm blessed that uh, next year will be my 30th year in the NBA, and um, that's, that's a fantastic run, and it's great to be able to do it in Memphis for a city that appreciates basketball, Uh, the Grizzlies are a great organization, they have done so many good things in the community, but it's a great group of people to work with, our television family is it really is a family for you know, six, seven months out of the year. We're all together. We're at dinner tonight together. This will be our last telecast. So, um, yeah, it's I, I have I have zero complaints. I know some people complain about the travel. I like the travel. I'm glad we're back on the road. So, yes, I do have the best job in the world.
1: Well, I appreciate you and Brevin and Fish, um, because like I. Um, People say they want more national TV games. That's all and good. That's fine. But, like, I listen to you guys um, every time I listen. You know, like, if, if you guys are on, I listen to you guys rather than the national broadcast. But, you know, I have no choice on Sunday. But I will be listening to you guys tomorrow. <laughs> well, I appreciate well, you you coming on, you know, with me. I really, really appreciate it. you taking your time out. And, Wow you guys yeah. had Thanks so a much
0: season. For, thank you so much for having me. I do appreciate your support and the great coverage you provide for the Grizzlies.
1: I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Take care.
1: You too.